Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. As I speak, President Trump is widely expected to decertify the Iran nuclear deal. And frankly, by the time you're listening to this, he almost certainly will have done so. But what does decertification actually mean? And will this action destroy the Iran nuclear deal? On the line with me to discuss these questions and more is Spencer Ackerman, the Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter with The Daily Beast. Spencer recently wrote about the likely diplomatic fallout from this action, which we discuss in depth because it is becoming increasingly clear that even if this White House action does not result in the reimposition of U.S. sanctions, which would kill the deal, it nonetheless undermines American credibility among both America's allies and adversaries around the world. Before we begin, a couple of quick announcements. First, if you are a student or recent graduate, I again want to strongly encourage you to check out the Humanity in Action Summer Fellowship Program. There's a link to it on globaldispatchespodcast.com. Second, I need you to step up and support the show and become a premium subscriber on Patreon. I just posted a premium-only episode with the political scientist Eric Gartsky, who explains the ways that Donald Trump is upending traditional notions of nuclear deterrence theory. It's a great discussion, and it can be yours, along with other bonus episodes and a host of rewards if you become a premium subscriber to the show. Just click on the link in the description of this podcast episode on iTunes or go to globaldispatchespodcast.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now here is Spencer Ackerman. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So there's a lot of intricacies and moving parts to decertification. It is not in itself the abrogation of the Iran deal. However, the sort of 30,000-foot view to look at it is uh, it will set the Iran deal, decertification will, on a potential death spiral. Uh, and the reason is the United States has obligations under the Iran deal. In particular, it has obligations to lift sanctions on Iran uh, that were designed and put in place to retaliate to its nuclear weapons program. Mm -hmm. And once decertification occurs, thanks not to the deal, but to a law passed by Congress in 2015, there kicks off a 60-day window to reimpose those sanctions in what the parlance calls snapback. So the thing about snapback is the whole thing was designed, both uh, the law and the spirit of the deal, 
to punish noncompliance with the deal, essentially noncompliance by Iran. No one in 2015 contemplated that the United States would violate its own obligations under the deal simply because it doesn't like Iran. And we're in a circumstance now in which no credible party, including the United States, believes that Iran is in noncompliance. The issue is that there is a Pardon me. <laughs> I'm going to stop myself. The issue is that there is a ton of political complication around the fact that this is a deal with Iran at all. And there's a lot of uh, particularly right-wing criticism that, in the first instance, doesn't hold that, that, that this deal ought to have been um, created at all. Secondly, there are some programmatic concerns that the deal, as a matter of the way it's designed, neglects uh, Iran's uh, missile development, which is quite advanced, uh, and its longstanding support for terrorism. But that uh, was so sp think specifically excluded from the negotiations. Those, those, ex those, those other, those other sort of challenges of, of the U.S.-Iranian relations, and it was designed exclusively to focus on the the nuclear issue itself, and, and not anything else. Correct. The, the trouble is, is that politically extricating those two sets of issues uh, is, is looking less and less viable now that Donald Trump is president and uh, he seems to, to wish to move the United States in a much more bellicose direction uh, toward Iran. Um, the administration, uh, according to this 2015 law, has to recertify uh, compliance with the Iran deal every 90 days. It's basically um, a hedge against um, Congress essentially being overrun um, on this deal. And, and in particular, once we kind of strip away um, the, the veneer of why things are uh, the way they are, it's basically a way for the deal's opponents on the right in Congress uh, to, to mess with the deal as they see necessary or provide a check on a presidency. Again, they thought it would be Barack Obama and probably as well thought it would be Hillary Clinton. Um, that they would consider soft on Iran in general. So, so that's in general where we are. Um, the issue now is if sanctions come back, if the United States Congress decides that it's going to, and particularly the Senate, decides that it's going to, to basically reauthorize um, the, the, the sanctions that, that the Iran deal lifted, then the Iran deal is in a real state of, of crisis. That's when the uh, death spiral might might begin, right? Is is this idea of if Congress reimposes sanctions, then you know that that you know, lifting sanctions in exchange for Iran's denuclearization was you know that's like the core element of of the deal. But I, I guess my question is there there seems to be I know we're talking about a little, we were talking about this a little bit offline some question as to whether or not after decertification happens whether the Senate will actually you know have the votes necessary to reimpose those sanctions. That's the that's the question. Given that there is no credible evidence that Iran is actually violating the deal, the question then becomes for the U.S. to have launched this deal, to have championed it um, in, the, in the face of, of, of tremendous difficulty, um, now does the United States want to be responsible for its destruction, knowing that there are going to be international consequences that, that are not limited to Iran? Um, you've seen over the past couple weeks uh, extreme effort by the other parties to the Iran deal in Europe, longtime United States allies like Britain, France, the European Union, Germany, 
um, really lobbying in public as well as lobbying on Capitol Hill uh, to, to ensure that Congress doesn't snap sanctions back. Um, U.S. allies consider, even U.S. allies um, who have right-wing governments right now, consider the Iran deal a success. They consider it um, not just uh, beneficial on the merits, but also as a demonstration effect that the world can come together uh, and, and show against tremendous odds that a diplomatic resolution to a nuclear proliferation concern is possible. And that's only going to become more and more acute with the crisis in North Korea. I, I wonder if some of the key votes in the Senate are among those uh, Republicans who uh, at once are harshly critical or were harshly critical of the Iran deal, like McCain or Graham, but are also strongly pro-Atlanticist, um, like McCain and, and Graham. So you wonder sort of which impulse is more powerful for them in a time like this? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's there's sort of two considerations here as as a matter of strategy. One is, do you, do you stay with the Iran deal or get rid of it um, in the face of, of Iranian compliance with the deal? Um, and then the second order consequence is, do you have an argument for staying in the deal even if you dislike it because all of your allies insist that you that you do? Um, it's it's a it's not a position that the United States finds itself in very often because the United States typically isn't, you know, in, to, to speak somewhat um, flippantly, in the position of manufacturing a diplomatic crisis. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you are seeing like, you know, arguments like Max Boot. Um, has, Max Boot is someone at the Council on Foreign Relations who, who isn't a fan of the Iran deal and certainly isn't um, sympathetic to Iran in any ways, and in many ways, you know, rather, rather, you know, bellicose posture toward it, nevertheless, you know, is written that it would be a mistake to get out of the deal, particularly given, you know, not just uh, the, the, uh, the, the diplomatic consequences among U.S. allies, but, you know, the circumstance that would then happen, which would, which would be essentially allowing Iran the ability to argue on the international stage that, it's the United States that has to be shunned because of this, that, mm -hmm. that the United States is blowing up uh, a deal that it had sought, that it had worked very hard to reach, and that if you know, the United States is then going to ask its allies uh, to, to reimpose the international sanctions that contributed to, to the pressure on Iran that, that led to the deal, that they ought not to do it. And essentially, it, it's an opportunity for Iran to drive a wedge between the Atlantic Alliance. The Atlantic Alliance. And uh, what's interesting from like a UN perspective uh, and is that, you know, you have the U.S. government, you know, the, the Iran deal was, was enshrined in a Security Council resolution that passed, you know, unanimously, meaning it was supported by the U.S. government. So here you have the U.S. government undermining uh, its own resolution that it passed just just two years ago, um, and the implications of having a permanent member of the Security Council undermine its own resolution uh, are are pretty profound and could have kind of deleterious consequences when it comes to trying to maintain Security Council unity on on a situation like North Korea as well. And and think about how you know when we look back at the the fifteen to nothing Security Council vote on additional energy sanctions in North Korea. You know, you, you look at how that went down, in which the United States first takes this maximal position that there has to be essentially a total energy embargo on North Korea, which, you know, certainly China doesn't want to impose because it feels that, it, because it fears that that could, you know, lead to a massive refugee crisis on its border. Um, and then the United States figuring out 
that it can live with something less than that. Um, and marshalling that willingness to compromise, um, obviously that's not the only factor behind the 15 to nothing vote, um, toward a diplomatic success for the administration, right? Now you're in a situation where I, I just keep hearing from uh, both U.S. and international and U.S. and foreign diplomats that you would face a circumstance after decertification where allies, enemies, neutral parties, NGOs, everyone has to question whether any future deal with the United States or the implementation of any current deal with the United States can be trusted. That I, I, I've, I've yet to hear um, experienced diplomats argue that you could effectively cauterize this issue internationally, that, that this would just be something that you would think, if you're the United States, you, you could argue uh, is just limited to Iran, that there's this specific set of circumstances that it uh, doesn't want to pursue with respect to the Iran deal, and, and that's it. No one thinks that is going to be the case, that if the United States ends up pulling out of, of this deal, then it's you know not the only time um, during the Trump administration uh, when that's happened, you know, something that, that I, I didn't necessarily expect to hear a lot about um, when I was you know, doing some reporting on this, but ended up hearing quite a bit about, is that particularly overseas, no one, no one in Europe is over the Trump pulling out of the Paris Climate Accords. Mm -hmm. That, like, this looks like yet another piece of evidence. I think um, there's a line uh, in this piece that I did um, from a from a from a European diplomat, um, that uh, you can expect nothing positive from this administration. That the Americans have left the multilateral liberal order. Now, perhaps that's overstated. There are you know all sorts of of of, of ways, mechanisms, and fora that you could you know speak to more articulately and confidently than I can. Um, that the United States participates in as as just like a routine practice. Of, of, of the international order. But nevertheless, it sort of speaks to this fear amongst traditional allies that the United States is helping essentially dismantle the rules of the international world that for 70 years it played such a leading role in constructing. So so can I ask you to, to game out some of the diplomatic consequences under a, a scenario in which Trump decertifies, uh, and we're speaking like a day before or two before it's expected to happen, Trump decertifies, but the Senate uh, and Congress does not agree to to reimpose sanctions. Under that scenario, what are some of like the near-term diplomatic implications and consequences, do you think? Well, one is going to be that uh, the European allies are going to feel like they not just dodged a bullet, but have to be on a kind of rear guard action. Because remember, decertification, if it happens, it won't be the last time it happens. In another 90 days, uh, you know, Trump is going to have to revisit the question of whether Iran is still in compliance or whether uh, the deal is in, is in the U.S. interest. And like the longer that decertification kind of hangs out there, uh, the greater the pressure is going to be um, amongst Congress to do something about that. Uh, you know, so that's, that's one. Um, you would expect that uh, the Iranians are going to start to argue that even though uh, perhaps the death spiral from, from the sanctions snapback might not happen quite yet, that, you know, th this deal is on life support and that any additional sanctions that the United States can impose, I'll talk about that in a second, um, really represents, you know, yet another break uh, 
um, sort of whittling this way this deal away. Um, they're they're already starting to to warn about uh, the death from a thousand cuts scenario. Um, so another thing to consider is is when Trump ultimately makes his argument for decertification. How specific is he going to be? What's he going to call on Congress to do? How specific is he going to be in what he calls on Congress to do? If he just sort of lets it hang out there that uh, decertification is happening because of, you know, all number of other criticisms of Iran that, that the United States can launch, but not because of noncompliance with the deal itself, is that going to be enough uh, to forestall sanctions snapping back? Or is it going to look much more like a signal sent to Capitol Hill that now is the time to kind of push through, you know, any number of additional or, or other sanctions not necessarily related uh, to the nuclear portfolio. And that brings us to the third scenario, which is that Congress, you know, passes something perhaps in addition to, you know, the United States declaring uh, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps a terrorist entity um, that, that punishes Iran without necessarily resuming uh, the sanctions that, uh, that, that the nuclear deal um, lifted. Because so it's, probably, it's probably important to, to, to say that the nuclear deal didn't uh, get rid of all the sanctions, just sanctions related to the nuclear program. That's right. And, and now there might be a way of, you know, from, from both the administration and from Capitol Hill's perspective, kind of finessing that, that divide, that, you know, perhaps you don't snap sanctions back, um, because you would, you know, for all of the, the, you know, reasons that we've we've talked about in terms of diplomatic consequence, but you you just essentially like give a kind of vote of no confidence in the nuclear deal and then press ahead with with a different round of sanctions. It's really unlikely that all of these foreign capitals and international bodies that are party to the deal are going to go along with that at all. Um, that that this looks much more like a paroxysm of anger. Um, by the United States, rather than, you know, like, uh, was it July when, you know, Total signed that, Total, how do you pronounce the, the yeah, energy Total, company? Yeah, Total, yeah, the French, the French yeah, oil they, company, yeah. Yeah, for something like $5 billion uh, for, like, the first new exploration, oil exploration, um, with a foreign partner in Iran in, in, in forever. You know, I, I forget how long, it, you know, it's been since then, but, like, is France going to want to, to tell uh, total that, you know, that deal is now off the table because of, of this, this, um, anger emanating from Washington. Um, that seems unlikely. There's also, I am not a hundred percent sure about this, but, um, it's going to take 60 votes in the Senate to put new sanctions on Iran. And I think it's 51 just to snap them back. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I think the, I think so. I think that's correct. So you, you've, you've got, you know, a harder legislative road, to hoe if they want if, if the administration wants to go down this path of of you know not snapping sanctions back related to the nuclear program but putting additional sanctions on as a way of of, of sort of trying to have it both ways and, and from from uh, a position from your from a perspective in in iran having you know additional sanctions uh put on you even if they're not related to the nuclear deal is sort of detrimental to those elements in iran who are pro the deal uh, who support the deal, who want to sort of show the people that there have been these kinds of economic benefits that have resulted from this kind of warming relation with the rest of the world. So uh, diplomats that I've spoken with just sort of, first off, they do have like various levels 
of of alarm related to to each of these different scenarios that that we're talking about. Obviously, you know, a sanction snapback is considered you know the the, the real killer of, of of the of the 2015 deal. Um, but you know, the overall top line is that no matter what, this would be the United States. It, from the context of the Iran deal, acting in bad faith, that you know, there, we've we've heard from the U.S. military establishment, from the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff to the Secretary of Defense, that certainly from the Joint Chiefs of Staff perspective, straight up arousing compliance, and then from uh, the Secretary of Defense's perspective, that staying in the deal in that circumstance is in, is in the U.S. interest. Here would be the Trump administration deciding to override that. So, like you, you had had. Mm-hmm. These, these declarative statements um, from the Pentagon about the importance of the deal and the value that it provides these and, 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 and it's worth and in, the in a hearing, was, yeah. yeah. In, in a hearing, yeah. Mattis and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff both said explicitly that the Iran deal is in American national interest. Yeah, Dunford, the General Dunford, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said this in, in, in more than one forum. But um, that, that hearing, I think that was two weeks ago, uh, was, was perhaps the, 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 the most striking departure um, in terms of, of senior U.S. officials at least passively endorsing the deal or recognizing um, that they had a, you know, an interest in telling Congress, uh, which, which, is, which is certainly a center of opposition to the deal, um, to, to stay within it. Um, and here would be, again, absent Iranian bad behavior um, related to the nuclear program, the United States would be saying, we, we, we think this deal is at the very least, less important than these other concerns. And we're, we're talking about a nuclear weapon at, at stake here. Yeah, in the most volatile region of the world. Yeah, and like, like this is, it, in a weird way, I sort of, this is perhaps me, you know, talking out of my notebook more than, more than anything else, but like in a it. weird way, I found, I, I found that like, as I was writing this story, um, the more I got in the, in the weeds of it, the, the, the more I lost the shape of it. Because, um, like, you know, we're talking about a deal that peacefully averts a nuclear weapon, or to to be as maximally charitable um, to the deal's opponents as, as as I can be, for at least a decade, averts a nuclear weapon, and a whole lot of arms control is kicking a can down the road, frankly. Um, so, so here you have a problem solved. At least you have a near-term problem solved. At the at the, at the absolute least. Um, and now this would be, you know, a move that, that, that puts that achievement in serious jeopardy. And I'm not, I've yet to hear an argument for walking away from the Iran deal that explains what the U.S. gets in return that's more important. Uh, well, Spencer, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely, Mark. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Spencer. And, and I really did appreciate Spencer taking time out of his busy day to uh, to, to chat with me. I've, I've known Spencer for a long time. We kind of came up together in the early days of our, our journalism careers. He at the New Republic and I was at the American Prospect. Oh, speaking of the American Prospect, I have an article out in the, the newest print issue about Trump and human rights and the effect of the Trump administration and Donald Trump personally on a process that has been ongoing around the world for a long time uh, called a democratic backsliding. Basically, this idea that the world and, and countries are becoming less and less democratic and 
what effect will the Trump administration have on that trend? That can be found in a a new edition of of the American Prospect magazine, a print edition. It's the first magazine article I've written in a really long time. It was fun to do. Maybe I'll do it again sometime. Got to keep up with the podcast, though. Anyway, thank you guys. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.